Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network, MJ in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce, and we have Dr. Joyce Cavuto here, and we're going to talk about a whole lot of topics that I think parents need to address and educators. We're going to talk about silent reading, oral reading, but we're going to first start with why don't people want to read? What seems to be the problem with them picking up a book to read? So good morning and welcome to MJ Network. Thank you very much, Fran. It's a pleasure to be with you, and uh, good morning to you and good morning to your listening audience. Oh, there's a lot of people listening to this one, and I just put it on Facebook, and hopefully people, and I put the question, why don't people read? The, the, I, I was asked that question by a New York Times author last week, and uh-huh. I was asked that by two other authors that said, why don't kids want to read? And, and I know from my own family, um, my, niece, they, my nieces that are, that are A students read for school. The boys read for school, but nobody picks up a book to read. I, I don't. I don't know why. Um, I know that I'm the only one in the family that reads. Maybe yeah. one or two cousins. But why don't people find it necessary even to go to the library to get books and read? I don't get it. Very, very good question, friend. I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you my my uh, view on the matter. Uh, mm. we, every everyone has heard the word illiteracy, uh, and the illiteracy. Uh, for years, century, uh, centuries, uh, people talk about the problem of illiteracy. But a, a very common problem that is rarely talked about is illiteracy. And illiteracy mm-hmm. are people who can read but choose not to. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, uh, yeah. people who can read and just don't. And uh, my, my my answer is I barely, I shouldn't say answer, but uh, my Hypothesis, um, if you will, is that reading, we know, we've learned over the past hundreds of years that reading is an active, aggressive act where the reader can't just sit back, look at the print, and hope that it happens. The reader Mm -hmm. has to take an active, aggressive role in predicting what's going to happen, self-monitoring himself, is it making sense, is it not making sense, et cetera, et cetera. And until those processes become automated, automatized, they, they take some work. And why bother doing that if you can just have uh, the, the print read to you, do you say? So uh, I, I, I think that's one of the problems. And uh, I, uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, video games. I'm not a big fan mm-hmm. of uh, of uh, some of the, or a lot of the social media, because I I really think that it's exacerbating this problem. 
No, I agree. I, you know something? I feel cheated if I don't read at least five or six books a week. But then I was my mother growing yes, yes. up. I, I mean, as an educator a long time ago, not that long ago, <laughs> um, I, I had cla- two sixth-grade classes that were geniuses. I mean, they were really smart, and they read To Kill a Mockingbird. Of course, I got in trouble for that one, but it was worth it. And they read the classics. As a matter uh-huh. of fact, my my podiatrist that I saw yesterday, Paul, is my is my student. So we were talking about that and the fact that I, you know, made them read and tortured them for a year, and they were glad that I did. But I'm finding that educators today don't have that energy. They don't know how to teach reading, and they'll give a book. Their book is assigned, and then they'll tell them go home and read it, and then answer the questions. But they don't talk about it. Yeah. And I said it to somebody. I said, does the teacher get up and read, talk about the book? No, the teacher reads the book to the class, and that's it. I said, well, why don't you discuss each chapter? You have questions. They don't answer them. Even my niece said they were talking about whatever topics she was talking about in respiratory therapy, and she said in order to get a question answered, you can't do it during the class. You have to email the professor. Why don't teachers take an active part in reading? That's scary. I mean, the fun of reading um, a classic or any book is getting into discussion and seeing what kids think. They don't care anymore. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, Fran, that that really hits home. I have a um, a fairly close relative who uh, Mm -hmm. he he just finished uh, seventh grade last year. And during the – he was in seventh, they finished it this year. Uh, But uh, during the pandemic when they were on uh, virtual – the English teacher read the book out loud mm-hmm. uh, to the students and um, for 45 minutes, the class time. And um, I was chatting with him about it. I said, uh-huh, and what about the questions? He said, what questions? I said, doesn't she ask questions? He said, no. I said, mm-hmm. okay, uh, what about how, how she tying the, uh, the book to, um, to writing? What kind of um, composition do you have, are you asked to do? He said, no, we're not asked to do anything. She basically just reads for 45 minutes. Fran, we both know that's a travesty, right? That's an absolute travesty. Yeah, yeah, and again, the whole idea of reading, and and first of all, I couldn't understand why she reads the book to seventh graders, because they should be reading the book silently at home on their own, okay? Mm -hmm. And, um, And they should be discussing the chapter with her during the 45 minutes. And uh, that, that just wasn't happening. Again, clearly, I'm not talking about all teachers, but that was this one incident that basically confirms what, what you're talking about. That it is That's happening right. in cases, and, and it's and it's really unfortunate. My niece had to read last year, "A Rose for Emily," and I thought it was really one of the greatest stories that was written. Mm-hmm. And she had to write a term paper on the theme. I said, well, did the, did the professor say eight pages? Did the mm-hmm. professor read it with you? Did you talk about it? No, he just said to go home and read it and figure out the theme. I said, well, do you know what the theme of it is? What do you think it's about? I have no idea. I said, Casey, it's isolation. It's control. What did the father do? I have the story memorized. It's scary. And she said she had no idea. I had to literally yeah. read the story with her over the phone to explain to her. And it's a really interesting story, especially the ending. It's really sure. scary. I mean, they don't comprehend anything. And how do you, I mean, then you have little kids that are just starting to read. You know, children in kindergarten, first grade that are starting to read, and they don't get it. 
I mean, they, they literally yeah. don't get it. They don't understand. So how do you start with these little kids? I mean, I have these little primers here. They're interesting. I'll tell you that. Um, I think the the, mo- the the one that I like the best is this is the McGuffey one. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's got it. I don't know. I know that when I did Bank Street, it was a matter of you know sentences. This one just starts with nouns: boy, mm-hmm. man, top, hen, just a bunch of words with pictures. Yeah. And then they sort of put it together in like a lesson four is like it is no, the sentences make no sense. He is up, so is he. You do so, just like sentences using the words. Uh huh. They're not. Ex- they're not exactly the most interesting. Then he's got some more words, then they got some sentences. And by the end of it, I think they know about 200 words. Yeah. And they have well, stories, little stories, yeah. yeah. They're not very interesting. Uh, the more no. one is about a frog. And the one over here, the Leopold Arnold Primer, um, is just little stories. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I don't know. You know. I don't even know which ones teachers begin. I, I was talking to one of the girls in the breakery. She works with a teacher that's using the fundamentals program. She said it's phonics. She said it's a disaster because yeah. she's teaching them how to sound out every letter of a word. You don't do that. So yeah. why are they picking these programs that yeah. don't work? Yeah, very, very, very good questions. And, again, uh, the we too uh, have discussed um, my favorite book in reading, and one that when you were one of my excellent students way back when. I'm sorry, not so far back when, but but uh, one of my students when I taught at Lehman College. Um, we we uh, the book that one of the books that was re- required reading was Edmund Burke Huey's book, uh, The Psychology and Pedagogy of Reading, and uh, I, I'm fairly certain that that may have been the uh, the motivation for you to pick up those primers and take a peek at those. Mm-hmm. And and to be to be honest with you, friend, uh, that, that book, The Psychology and Pedagogy of Reading, and for your listeners, they might find it interesting, that in my opinion, that was, that was and is the best book on the teaching of reading and the learning of reading ever written. And it was written in 1903. Okay? Uh, I and use... It, it, yeah, it, and the point, and Edmund Burke Huey does make the point in that book, in uh, a chapter on beginning reading, and mm-hmm. he, he, he quotes several of the uh, his contemporary uh, experts at the time, uh, including uh, uh, John Dewey, that um, reading has to be first and foremost about getting meaning. It has to be first mm-hmm. and foremost about getting meaning. In fact, he goes so far in in one of the chapters. To, he cites uh, an expert at the time who said, "You you might some of the uh, some of the uh, teachers reading this might be appalled, but at first, if the student reads the sentence and changes a word but keeps the the meaning of the sentence intact, it should be it should be left alone. It shouldn't be corrected." And mm-hmm. and I, I read that and I just laughed because uh, here we it wasn't until 1950s 1960s that uh, that uh, Goodman came out with his miscue analysis where you analyze the nature of the students reading he didn't call them reading errors he called them reading miscues <clears throat> simply because some reading miscues or deviations from print 
were good. For instance, the kid is reading, and it, it was a big train. It was a really big train. In fact, that was a that was a and they could read that was a huge train, and oh, that was a really huge train. But the text says really big train. Now, why would he read really huge train? Very simple. If you understand how reading works, because his mm-hmm. head is top-down processing. He's making a prediction, and he's making a prediction based upon everything he knows about this world, and actually, that's what's called a good era, uh, but since that's an oxymoron, we call it a, a semantically acceptable miscue, and the, the teacher who's listening, who's got, who has what I call the knowing ear, lets that slide. Now, did, does that mean the kid will read huge for big the rest of his life? Of course not. In fact, if you go back and you put your finger on it just for experimental reasons, you will see he can read the word big. He read it three times before, okay? Um, so th- this whole science of miscue analysis and, uh, and uh, readers uh, making semantically acceptable errors of letting, or miscues and letting them uh, proceed, uh, I, I had one, one, one graduate student say to me, be a Dr. Pluto. I have a kid that does it all the time. And he, he makes those semantics all miscues all the time. And it makes me crazy. And the, uh, and the other kids are constantly correcting him. And uh, I said, well, let me ask you something. How was his comprehension? He goes, oh, wonderful. He's, he's actually probably the, the highest reader in my class. So I said, two solutions. She said, okay. You listen carefully? She said, yes, I am. I said, one solution is tell the other kids in your class in the beginning of the school year that when anyone is reading out loud, there's no one allowed to correct them except for you, okay? Mm-hmm. That's make believe they have a, a, a cloth across their mouth, okay? That's a rule. Nobody's allowed to correct except for me, okay? That's critical, important. I call it gagging them. Yeah, gagging them. Now, of course, not literally, right? Then the, the second one is that, and I said, this is going to really stun you, but that youngster, you can solve that problem easily, very easily. Let him read silently. If you read silently, mm-hmm. you're not going to hear those good miscues, and it won't be necessary to correct them. So silent reading, in, in fact, Edmund Burke Huey's text, he makes a very, he and several other experts at the time, make a very strong case for the critical importance of having kids do a lot of silent reading as opposed to oral reading. In fact, one of the experts called that a the oral reading, the silent reading hypothesis. Now, not not nixing, not not doing away with oral reading, not at all, but cutting down on the frequency. Okay, uh, those are very important points. By the way, not allowing any student to correct other than the teacher, critically important. Right? So you've seen teachers. Well, no, no, no one did that in my classes. They wouldn't even think to do that, of which course, is good. Of course. But um, the thing is that I'm learning. I learned something also. Silent reading. Um, kids, children that have trouble or get embarrassed reading out loud, oral reading, do prefer to read silent reading. And I've noticed also that there are kids that read. Teachers don't want to call on the children that are not fluent readers. And sometimes exactly. they even say to them, and I've heard them, "Oh, read that. Get, get, just get it. Read it and read it really fast." But if you're reading it really fast, you're not focused on what the print is saying. You're not hearing what you're reading. So naturally, they're word calling, and they're not understanding what they're reading. 
And exactly. I find, yeah, I'll, I'll, I would do a lesson and say, okay, I want you to read the first paragraph to yourself. I want you to tell me, what do you think the author is trying to say? What, what do you get from, from reading that? And you'd be amazed. Well, my sixth graders were brilliant. My first, my second two classes, they were brilliant. But even the little first graders got it. They realized, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's okay. And I said to them, it's okay to make a mistake. That's okay. Yeah. That, that's why I'm here. I find that teachers, when children read orally or silently, and they get the wrong answer, instead of saying to them, go back and look at it and telling them where, they tell them, you don't know what you're talking about. They insult them. Yeah, so why would they yeah. want to read? Yeah, you yeah, know, when I, just, in 19, let's see, I'm really going to date myself, but in 1986, I, I finished my doctoral dissertation, and the name of my doctoral dissertation was uh, uh, Teacher Feedback to Student Miscue as a Reflection of Teacher Theory of Reading. And, and this sounds mm-hmm. kind of abstract, but, but what I was really looking at is, what does a teacher do when the student makes an oral reading? Let, let's use the old, an oral reading error, okay? And, uh, friend, it was uh, amazing because I went into classrooms, actual classrooms. I had to use a little bit of a guise saying I was interested in student-teacher interaction during oral reading. But basically I was looking at what the teacher said when students miscued, and it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, percentage of feedback having to do with simply giving a what's called a phonic prompt or a graphophonic prompt, meaning, okay, let's look at that. No, honey, let's look at that word. What's that T sound? What's the H sound? Uh, that was the oh, most God. frequent. Yeah, that was the most frequent. And uh, the, the least frequent, believe it or not, the least frequent feedback to Miss Q was this one. Does that make sense? Okay? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Okay, uh, Joey wanted to take a ride on the train. On the Joey wanted to take a ride on the train. Uh, he 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 went to the sub the subway with his mother to take the train, and instead of simply now again think about it, if the other kids aren't mm-hmm. gagged, the problem is resolved poorly because the someone was you'll you'll hear someone say train. Okay, that's either Priscilla or Paul, the youngster in the class who takes it upon themselves to always give the the reader the, the word when he or she misses it. Yeah, that's that's problematic because that doesn't enable the student to do that which he or she should be doing, which is to mm-hmm. monitor himself. Okay, to say, wait a minute, you should have this internal monitoring system, and the teacher has it. That has to. Some teach some some kids have it naturally, but some students need mm-hmm. to learn how to develop this internal monitoring system that always says, "Does it make sense? Does it make sense? Does it make sense?" And that is so critical. And that's not going to happen if you let other kids yell out uh, the word. And that's not going to happen if teachers give poor feedback. And why do teachers give poor feedback? Because they're ill-intentioned. Of course not. They get poor feedback because, and I'm sorry, I have said, I'm sure I said this in many of our interviews, and I apologize for the redundancy, but they do that because they haven't had enough training. They haven't enough coursework exactly. in, in reading. Uh, I, I see this as in, in, the, in the Chronicle of Higher Education, and they want a teacher to teach introductory uh, reading courses at the college level, sometimes at the university, college slash university level, and the minimum requirements is a master's degree in reading. I'm sorry, 
a master's degree in reading or special education. And uh, please, the special education teachers listening to this, don't, don't be angry, but a degree in special education does not one does not a reading specialist make yes uh to to be a a reading specialist you have to have minimally a master's degree in reading right now there are there are some people who have that degree in special ed who on their own uh, made themselves reading specialists but no doubt about it oh there's some people yes but then that's kind of few and far between okay so getting back to your point uh uh that i'm sort of going on a little bit of a uh uh, soliloquy here. Uh, two, two, two points. Number one, the ones who are good readers, good decoders, good comprehenders, let them read silently. There's no need for them to read out loud. And number two, the ones who are reading out loud and when they make a miscue that keeps the meaning of the sentence intact, let it go. Let it go. They won't read that word incorrectly for the rest of their life. They're doing it only because they are predicting and anticipating, which are good things to do. I, I agree, but I've heard, you know, what, what's really scary, um, I have a friend that teaches special ed in my school where I worked, and I've said to her, how, you know, how do you deal with, the, oh, they don't know how to do anything, they can't read. I said, they can't read because you're not showing them how to read the right way. I said, yeah. and I'll be more than happy to do a Zoom and show you how to do it, because they don't. Half of these reading teachers don't. And the other question is this. When you have a student that wants to learn so badly that they really want to learn to read and the teacher gives them the feeling that they don't want to hear from them, they develop poor self-esteem. So all yeah. of a sudden they don't want, they, they, they close up. This reminds me of the story of when the last, the year before my principal retired, I wish he never had retired, a young man walked in and he says to me, I'm not leaving until you teach me how to read. Like, wait a minute, who are you? Where'd you come from? How do I know you? <laughs> and I didn't know what to laugh or cry. He was yeah. 13 years old in the fifth grade. He said, I don't know how to read, and I'm, and, and I'm not leaving this room. I said, it's 6.30 in the morning. How did you get up here? Yeah. By the time he, and he brought a posse with him. There were like five of them, and sitting there, I said, okay, are you brave? Because in about an hour, you're going to read 200 words. In about two hours, I make a bet you're going to read a whole lot more. I invented the, the Fran Lewis method of teaching reading to kids mm -hmm. that never knew how to read. And I just used a little bit of that, a whole lot of this, and I showed them you know, how you could, it was like a simple and, and just adding the, the consonant and sentences or whatever. By the time they got done, they couldn't believe it. They said, how did you do that? I said, I didn't do anything. You decided that you wanted to get somewhere in this world, and I'm going to make sure that you do. And yeah. first, I said, you can come two days a week. No, they showed up every day at 630. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's like, amazing. yeah. No, yeah, please continue. I, I had an issue to interrupt. It, it's it's scary. Now, from, from UWE, which is in front of me, I still have I'll never forget the process that he used which was a word and then, you know, clause and then phrase and then sentences and then paragraphs and then stories. I have that in my brain because mm -hmm. that does work. And, of course, there's, the, the like I said, my, my own unique way of doing things. But I was looking at, um, where am I here, on this paper, the Waymarks the way for Teachers emphasizes silent reading, 
which the author states the question to the children upon the subject matter, and then as you read, they respond. That that's one, and then Arnold opposes that also. So there are different there were different views in Ewing as to as to how they people should teach children how to read. Mm-hmm. So what is the best way to start with with kids in first grade or kindergarten besides um, whatever, whatever, whatever primer they're reading and teaching them, whatever? I use these language, you know, language experience yeah. and created stories and wordless like that. But what about somebody that doesn't know what to do? What about a principal that says, you have to follow this book and do it? And like I said, this young girl said to me, this this reading system teaches them how to sound out every letter of the word in the kids, or it's now May, and she said if they can read six words in this class, it's a lot. They yeah. can't read. Yeah, well, the, the, uh, making the kids sound out every letter and every word uh, works very nicely in German and Spanish, but it works terribly in English. Uh, English has uh, English is not unphonetic. However, it's only partially phonetic. We have 26 letters in English but 44 sounds. We have 26 letters trying to make 44 sounds. So we have, unfortunately, words like caught and you and Mm -hmm. from and mother and uh, the. And a lot of these are the beginning words that kids uh, uh, see in in the beginning uh, readers, and they can't be sounded out. Now, that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that mom and dad or the teacher are going to refrain from saying, go, uh, go ahead, honey, sound it, sound it. And unfortunately, the, the child doesn't sound it because it doesn't sound out. How do you sound out the mm-hmm. the? Okay? How do you sound out mother? Mother is a terrible word to sound out. Um, and uh, when the kid can't do it, he doesn't say, oh, well, it's not my fault. Mom is asking me to sound out a phonetically inconsistent word. What, what, what he says, says is precisely that what you referred to before, Fran, what he says is, or he yeah. internalizes the idea, I'm stupid. In, in fact, That's in my right. many years, in my many years having my uh, my own private reading center, 38 years actually, uh, I had more than a few parents at the parent consult I had after testing the youngster the following week say to me, Dr. Little, when, you know, you know my, my, my child, everybody tells me how smart he is, what a bright little boy he is, and we're out with other kids, and uh, uh, he really seems to shine, and I, I know that, but when, when we're home and he's doing schoolwork, he'll say, Mommy, I'm stupid, and it brings tears mm-hmm. to the mother's eyes and the father's eyes, and of course, who wants to hear them say their child is stupid, right? But when you can read words, and you can read words, particularly words that don't sound out, and you're being asked to sound them out, you get this idea, hey, I'm stupid, and it's really unfortunate. So the answer to your question, Fran, is mm-hmm. in my view, uh, I, I know we have a lot of primers out there that uh, Huey mentioned, a lot of primers yeah. that you alluded to, the McGuffey readers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in my view, <laughs> the, the best way to begin the teaching of reading is with language experience. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, language experience, uh, Van Allen in 1964 came up with the idea. However, Sylvia Ashton Warner actually worked with the Maori Indians in uh, in New Zealand, uh, the indigenous tribe in New Zealand, and she was giving the English primers to work with them. Oh, look, 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 I dare say, let's take the lift. And for some reason, they didn't relate to that. I'm being sarcastic, of course, yeah? 
So after after a day or two, or three, or a week, she took her primers and used them to start the 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 fire, the barbecue, or something, and uh, uh, the, the barbecue, the uh, uh, the campfire, and she basically asked the youngsters to tell them about something that happened in their life. Each of them had a turn. Mm-hmm. She would tell. They would say it. She would listen. Then she would write it. She would act as a scribe. Then she would have the youngster read it. Then she would have other children read it. Then she would put it up on the wall, and that was that youngster's story. And she was amazed at how all of a sudden they became more motivated. They they were uh, the the only little problem was the Maori uh, uh, Indians happened to be uh, as a culture. A little bit generalizing, of course, but there was some violence, especially family violence, and the kids would talk about that. Uh, mommy, Daddy came home from work and he hit Mommy, but the teacher would describe exactly what the kids said to keep the integrity of the story. And at that time, they didn't worry about cultural sensitivity so mm-hmm. much, people. You know, and and it worked absolutely wonderfully. Uh, 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 Van Allen took like her, what she called it, organic reading. And um, uh, Van Allen coined the term language experience approach, LEA, and the underlying premise was very simple, uh, Fran, as you know. What I could think, I could say. What I could mm-hmm. say, I can write, or I could have mm-hmm. someone write for me. And what I could write, I can read. And that's the underlying premise, and I, I tell you, I... I I actually swear by the approach. And if teachers or principals are in, insisting that they not use it, mm-hmm. that they use primers, in my view, what has to happen is, and I've done this, we have to have workshops for principals. Uh, unfortunately, in the uh, in New York State, as with almost every other state, I'm sorry, every other state in this country, principals are not required to have Teachers are required to have six to nine credits in the teaching of reading. In my view, that that's ridiculous. Principals are supposed to be, especially at the elementary level, but also at the secondary level, but at the elementary, without a doubt, principals are supposed to be the guiding force behind the school reading program. Well, how could they be the guiding force if they don't have that background? You're 100% right. My assistant principal, when I first started, she did have the background. So Natalie, you know, was there. The principal did not, and the AP did not. But she knew that, I don't know, it must have been the wildest thing when I first started to teach my first class. I thought I was going to just, like, quit. I mean, that's how difficult they were. And then I said, you know, you're in charge. You're going to be able to do this. So I invited the dean the assistant principal to come observe me just to uh-huh. see what happened when I was teaching a reading lesson. I said, you have to tell me if I have the skills to do this or I'm not going to do it. I will not take the lives of these sixth graders and, and destroy them or not. By the time I got done, he said to me, I don't know how you figured out that that didn't work, but you figured out how to make everything work. And he said, now you just got to get tough. He said, right. you have instincts. And then, of course, yeah. when I took my reading master, that did that did it. Most principals have no idea. So they say you have to use this reading program. When I started teaching first grade, it was my fourth year teaching, and I was like, 
Why are you doing this to me? Why are you putting this girl on first grade? I wasn't built for, for little kids. I really wasn't. There was a teacher that came in. Unfortunately, she passed away, but they gave her my class for a month, and he said, well, we don't think you should come back upstairs. You're really too good downstairs. I had no idea. But it had to use Bank Street. So, yeah. But I, I, I created short stories using the, the words. I said to him, oh, this is about a house. Okay, let's talk about your house. Let's talk about Great. your street. I mean, you no, know, I had to come up with something because they, I was putting me to sleep. Right. But right. I, if I tell you, I, I can't. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed. These little first graders, by the end of the year, were writing compositions using the dictionary and reading on third grade level. Right. Because I, what did I know? I mean, you have to have faith in what you're doing. But most teachers today, I get the feeling that they don't care. Okay, the principal said to use this, but they're not trained in what they're using. And yeah. if it's not working, then you've got to figure out an alternate plan. And right. um, my my friend said to me that the teacher told her class that they were all stupid and they didn't know how to do anything. I said, and you took it? I said, oh, you didn't come in? You're paying thousands of dollars for this Catholic school and you're going to take that? I wouldn't yeah. take it. I said, do you want me to tell them? I'll tell them. Yeah, the principal that, of the school. Yeah, that, I mean, how do you... How do you how, do, how does a teacher dare? Yeah, that's unconscious. I know. Uh, the I, I, other I question, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, friend, the, uh, the, as, both, as we both know, uh, the, the reason why the most popular reading programs in virtually all elementary schools throughout the country are basal reading programs and the reason, yeah. very simply, is because the basal reading programs are scripted. Uh, they have teacher yeah. guides that go along with them. The teacher guide tells the teacher exactly what to do. The teacher follows the teacher guide. And uh, that that makes everything a lot easier for the teachers. It makes everything a lot easier for the principals. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. does not give the teachers an in-depth knowledge of the reading process. Mm-hmm. So as a result, they... they they, they they're used as kind of a, a rubber crutch, you know. It just it just doesn't help them become more knowledgeable. Um, I, I would love to um, I would love to uh, uh, the the International Reading Association has guidelines for re, for uh, classroom teachers, and their, their guidelines for teachers uh, as of three or four years ago, the last time I looked, uh, was uh, elementary teachers. Uh, Nine to twelve credits in the teaching of reading. Uh, we, we both know that that's ridiculous. And this is the international. At least now it's called the International Literacy Association, which is probably more pro- appropriate. Um, but uh, nine credits for elementary school teachers for a master's degree, which I know you you have one of those or several of those, uh, with one of in reading, it's a thirty-six credit master's degree. Uh, thirty-six credits. Most certainly can a reading specialist make. But nine credits, no, no. Nine credits, you end up relying on the basal reading program. I I remember taking your class and Dr. Um, Sledge, Andrea Sledge and Bob Delisle and Girardi and everything. There was only one professor that she, she did not know the difference between independent level instructional level and frustration and mm-hmm. this is a class of really smart people and yeah. we try to explain to her your definitions are wrong so when she i'll never forget this when she gave the midterm 
I said to her, do you want the definition that is correct? And then in the middle of the test, would you want the one that you gave us, the one I gave you? So she gives me back the test, and she says to me, you got 91. I said, that's impossible. She says, those three definitions are wrong. I said, you want to look at my notebook? Because she wrote them wrong. She had to change the grade to 99. I left out one question. I said, you really have no understanding of what frustration level, what it is that children don't understand. And we all went to the head of the department because she really didn't know what she was doing. It was really scary. Yeah. I mean, teachers have to understand. I don't think that teachers today understand how to work with children on different levels. I don't think they understand that the top group, I don't think, is getting what they need. The bottom group is definitely not getting the instruction. And the middle group might be. I don't even know if they have, and I I got the organization sheet my friend sent me from my school because she wanted me to come to the intern party, which there's no reason for me. I don't know anybody. I don't even know if they have a reading reading, uh, professional or a reading teacher that, you know, comes in and, you know, models lessons for the class, for the classroom teacher to teach them how to do it. If you're the reading teacher, then you should have a reading message, and I make a bet they don't. Yeah, no, probably not. Probably not. And, and again, uh, it, 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 it's sad. I, I, I was looking over my. Uh, I had occasion. I'm going to be doing some. Uh, oh, uh, uh, some uh, lecturing uh, uh, on a broader basis than I have been for the past uh, two, three, four years. But I, but I, I in, in putting compiling the the different talks I've done. I actually worked with 40, 40 school districts on Long Island, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them, as a consultant, this is on on the days I did not have to be at the college where I was employed full time, uh, namely Mondays and Fridays. And, uh, and in those um, many years, I did the consulting work with those districts. I found, and I, I. I I, it's kind of nostalgic, but in looking back, I noticed that the uh, the really, really top-notch districts on Long Island, such as Jericho and Manhattan mm-hmm. and Roslyn, were the districts where I did most of the work. And uh, I and again, it wasn't a question of money because if a district called me and wanted me to do some consulting work and uh, they couldn't afford my my fees, I. I would do them for less, or I would do them pro bono, uh, because I was that committed to literacy instruction. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, I didn't get calls from some of those districts, you know. And uh, the 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 in service, as we call it, professional development, works best if it's done during the school day. Uh, when it's done after the school day, the teachers are tired. They they had already put in eight hours. I don't blame them for not wanting to pay attention, but I had to make sure I did a, a little bit of a horse and pony show and, and mm-hmm. insert a little bit of humor and uh, insert a few uh, uh, stories, vignettes uh, about uh, things related to the topic. But I had to make sure also, uh, otherwise I would uh, be very angry with myself on driving home, uh, that I, I, I delivered something that was substantive. Uh, as you said, teachers have to know there's an independent level. That's just defined as students reading 95 to, to 100 percent of the words correctly and 90 percent mm-hmm. comprehension. Instructional level, 
75% decoding accuracy. Uh, I'm sorry, 90% decoding accuracy and 75% or better comprehension. And the frustration level is below uh, 90% decoding or below 70% comprehension. And in my view, friends, teachers should know in their classroom what level every student is on. In other words, for Joseph, what is his independent level? What is his instructional level? What is his frustration level? Uh, otherwise, it becomes very difficult to make good decisions as to the books you're going to be going to put in his or her hand. Um, that, 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 that's just one of, oh, God, hundreds, hundreds of basics that have to be taught to teachers as they proceed through a, a master's degree in reading. Um, you know how they decide what the kids read? This is really pathetic. They don't do the – I did independent reading assessments for every child in my class, but uh, they do not do that. They look at the uh, record card – and whatever book that the children are on, if they're on the pre the primer, they start them on the primer at the end, in the beginning of the year. They don't yeah. look to see if the child read during the year. They don't look to see if the child, you know, progressed or anything. They they don't care. I mean, yeah. I think the best program um, was a long time ago was Macarola's transitional program, and it was nineteen seventy eighty something, and it was. You had a class of holdovers, and there was only 16 kids in the class, and I got stuck doing it because the principal called me in the day before school started and said, that's what you're going to do. He kept doing this to me forever. I said, mm-hmm. don't, I, don't, I read, don't I get what I want? I have seniority? Right. And I, I was really scared because I had no idea what I was in for. He sent me to the Board of Ed. They taught me how to read two, 23 tests for each kid in the class, child in the class. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. I didn't want to tell him that. That's when I really, really, really understood how to assess children. Every child got 23 tests. By the time I got done, in January, they gave a test to the first graders. They were first graders. And at the end of the, the um, January, they gave the test, and they said, let's see how many children can go to second grade. They had 16. Eight of them passed the test to go to second grade in January. I was like, holy God, did I really do that? And yeah. he said to me, well, I'm going to put them in second grade. I go, no, you're not. I'm keeping them. I'll do a one-two <laughs> class, no problem. Right. But, but all the year, I mean, most teachers don't understand. They don't do that. They just automatically go to the record card and automatically assume, which you shouldn't, you know, that that's where the children are. And sometimes the poor kid gets stuck reading the same book as the year before. Yeah. And that's even worse. Well, well, that, that's just, as we both know, that's just getting caught up in the educational bureaucracy and the, uh, yeah. and the expeditious way of doing things. It's unfortunate, but most certainly happens. And I have to say for our teachers in the audience, I'm sure that mm-hmm. there are many who know how reading works and who violate that just going to the next step. So youngsters, quite honestly, could come back from the summer vacation Let's just say their their library had a summer reading program, and they wanted to get that prize at the end of the program, so they read 20 books. So the youngster comes back reading a level or two above, okay? So they just automatically hops into the next level from where they were in June. Makes no sense at all. Conversely, there's that summer slip, as we all know, where students finish up second grade reading at the 2-2 
level, second half of second grade, which is basically grade level, but they enter third grade and they're back to 2-1 or maybe even 1-2 because they didn't do a darn bit of reading over the summer, yeah, except except for their mm-hmm. uh, uh, texting or uh, their and, and their uh, other social media kinds of things, which uh, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to sound like a Luddite here. Those things are, they're, they're a part of our culture now, but there should be actual reading over and above those. Even if that actual reading is done on a Kindle, all right, uh, there should be actual mm-hmm. reading. Uh, we we had we had talked about. Um, uh, uh, I, I believe you you uh, you mentioned uh, students who are good decoders and yeah. good uh, good decoders and good comprehenders. Um, and uh, what what should we do with them in terms of? Uh, their reading instruction, and uh, in fact, uh, my, my my best answer to that question would be, if the student is a good decoder and, and automatic, we both know what that means. He could get the words quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is so is silent uh, reading speed is is good. Uh, quite honestly, if the silent reading speed is good, I could give two whoops about his oral reading speed. He if he's if he's a good decoder, a good comprehender, there's no reason for him to be reading orally anyway, unless he's reading a play. Uh, but uh, if but if, if he has good decoding, automatic decoding, good comprehension, quite honestly, that youngster we're really lucky to have in our class because that youngster doesn't need us too much, other than to guide him to good literature. Yeah, all right. Because quite honestly, he is already doing has all the tools he, he needs to. Uh, to succeed, and we have to just uh, uh, make sure we nurture that. Uh, unfortunately, we we don't unless we we get the gifted and talented class, or unless we get the uh, the top uh, group in the uh, if they're tracking. And most districts don't track, but uh, unless we get the uh, the really top notch readers, most youngsters have difficulties in in either the decoding or the the comprehension or the automaticity. And I think you had asked me about world knowledge or um, mm-hmm. receptive vocabulary. Yes, Ren? Yeah. Uh, you, well, you have... I, I, all, all I know is that when I, you know, reading groups are hard because I had five classes, fifth grade. Yeah. yeah. And each each class was different. And the groups were, according to my assistant principal, like 13, 12, 13, 14 kids. And I was able to figure out where they belonged. But I didn't use basal readers. In the reading, in in, in uh, reading, I said uh-huh. that's for your teacher to to do. I invent, like I said, I invented my reading program. They came down three days a week. Two days we did, you know, vocabulary, structural analysis, um, word attack, whatever comprehension. And the third day, I would say to them, "What do you want to read about?" I'm going to write. I'm going to create a story. I used to make up my own stories. Or I'm going mm-hmm. to get something that you want to read about. What do you want to read about that would be fun? Okay, we're going to read about the wrestlers. We're going to read about um, rap singers. You want to read, and I would whatever they wanted to read about. I learned a lot about the wrestlers and the rap singers. <laughs> Each group was right. different, but right. all I know is that that third day they came down, they were like so sparked, and I didn't make it on their level. I made it on the grade above. Yeah. I said you're gonna you're gonna have to you're gonna have to tackle this and see if you could read it. And they would say, "This is fantastic. They love it." Do you know what they used to do? That was even worse. They were supposed to come down Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday and Friday had the time off, and they showed up anyway, all of them. 
How's the I, life I don't, yeah, I, I, I think the funniest thing, this is a true story that ever happened, this group of kids got in trouble with their t- teacher. She said, I'm going to punish you. I'm not letting you go down to Mrs. Lewis for reading. Well, this is tough fifth graders. You don't mess with this fifth grade. They were really tough kids. They got up as a group and walked out of the room and came down to my office. Oh, my and, goodness. Oh, I didn't know. I cracked up laughing. I had to yeah. keep a straight face. Yeah. The teacher comes flying down. They need to come upstairs. The assistant principal happened to be in the hall. I said, okay, would you like to tell me what happened? They don't deserve your help anymore because they really don't listen to me. And my assistant principal turned around and said, but then Fran's going to get cited by the state because she's, this is a state-mandated group, and she's going to get in trouble because somebody's going to tell on her, like me, and I'm going to call the state and say she didn't do her reading group. I said, I'm not going to make this decision, but basically they have to stay. So they walked in, and they closed the door. I cracked up laughing. It was horrible. I cracked up laughing. I said, what in pleasant blazes did you do? I said, don't tell yeah. me. I don't want to know. Yeah, and, really yeah, she had a fit. I said, you know what? When they get upstairs, you can take away their gym period. You can take away their playtime. You can do whatever you want, but you cannot take away mandated reading. Yeah. And they looked at me and go, they just cra- I, they cracked up laughing. I go, oh, God. And they said, especially the day you pick what we're going to read. Yeah. I, mean, I, they, I, I think, friend, that that's a wonderful story. And I think I think it's a uh, a testament to uh, to you. And also, uh, more importantly, perhaps, uh, it's a testament uh, to the fact that children seem <coughs> to innately know what works for them. Yeah. What yeah. what 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 is uh, authentic? What's meaningful? And and what what what's effective, and conversely, they know what's what kind of instruction is, if I may, nonsense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and having children do nonsense uh, is is really unfortunate. What a six is old level. That's why they ran down to to Mrs. Lewis's class. But um, getting back to where we we had been, um, I, I think that it's really important that we allow students uh, sufficient time to engage in silent reading. I, I did mm-hmm. have a, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, I, I, I uh, think that it's so important that they have a chance to engage in silent reading. Probably even better if, if we have some concerns about their comprehension that they, they retell after they've read a, a half a chapter or if they have significant comprehension deficits, and we know that we can have them try to retell after, you know, a page or two. Uh, we want to check on the comprehension. Now, again, <clears throat> everything has its uh, uh, limitations. We can't have someone engage in. We can't say, okay, Joe, I want you to read that silently. If Joey's in the third grade and he's decoding on a on a first grade level, uh, it, we uh, obviously he can't read the third grade book silently. If we're giving him a first grade book, he could read that silently. But again, we, we, this, I don't have a problem so much with that youngster doing some oral reading if the oral mm-hmm. reading is being used to teach strategies. And what are those strategies? The teacher should be teaching him when he comes to a word he does not know how to use one of the three cueing systems to get it. You could be mm-hmm. encouraging him to sound it out if the word is carpet, which sounds out pretty well. She could be teaching him to make a guess as to what the word might be. That's called using semantic cues. 
if it says mommy was cleaning the or daddy was cleaning the C-A-R-P-E-T, it was all dirty. Let's go back. Let's look at that word. What word, what word would make sense there? The teacher is using her feedback to have the youngster use semantic cues. And syntactic cues kind of uh, go along with semantic cues. That's the, the part of speech. But the, I was reading a, uh, um, uh, something on LinkedIn the other day by this gentleman. He was talking about the three cueing systems. And it was a it was a well done piece, but what struck me is he was talking about the three language queuing system mm -hmm. as if this was a methodology that we've just discovered. Uh, Noam Chomsky <laughs> talked about the three language queuing systems in his book Syntactic Structures in 1953. The three queuing systems are embedded in all meaningful language. That's the problem that I have with the McGuffey readers with the words in isolation. Yeah, I know what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, although what he does is they, they, they put a picture to go along with them, which is a little bit helpful. But anytime you know, a big thing with, uh, with quote-unquote whole language programs uh, is they, they like word walls, some of them, putting words on the back mm -hmm. wall that frequently mm -hmm. they call them sight words. they words that were not sound audible. But they're words in isolation brought uh, mother, uh, uh, when, what. Uh, the, the problem with the, doing that, I was never big on word walls because those words are so much easier to read in context. Mm -hmm. All right? All right? What was it about? What did you say, Joey? That word what, if he can't get it, let him skip it, go on to the rest of the sentence. He'll see, and you show him where the question mark is, and he can make a good prediction that that word is what based upon the context. That's using semantic cues. Again, teaching teachers how to give good feedback to student miscue is, uh, is of quintessential importance, but it also takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. But when the light goes on and, teach, and teachers have to practice it, and the other kids have to be gagged so they don't jump in. Have you ever heard that, friend? I, I'm sorry. That was uh, that was ridiculous. Of course you've heard it. The kid comes to work and doesn't know, and the teacher says, "Okay, who can help? Who can help Nancy with that word?" Ah, uh, uh, isn't the underlying? Well, we have about three more minutes <laughs> left, but basically, I agree. What when I would read, I would do it in social studies and science too. But yeah. I would give them a question. Like, we're going to read this, what, you know, a thought question. So while they're reading, they have it. So what would you like to talk about next time? Because this was really interesting, and I'm going to make sure that everybody listens. So I told it to somebody in one of the offices this morning that I called. I uh -huh. said parents need to really take a more active role in what children are doing. Instead of saying, oh, read it this way or that, I don't, I don't know. I have one little cousin. She's going to be eight on Sunday. And little Kaya is my one of my reading partners because she loves to read. And she actually reads books, and she likes to talk about them. And I said, you know, parents don't know what the kids are reading. And if they're reading a book in school or a story, why don't you talk to them about what they're reading? Why don't yes. you just discuss it? What did you like about the story? If the author could write something different, what, what don't you understand about the story? So right. what would you like to talk about next time? This is really good. Well, Frank, uh, thank you, friend. Uh, friend, I think the logical progression would be, why don't we talk about the progression from oral language, starting with the kid saying, 
Baba. Huh? I want my Baba okay. for his model. All right. From oral language straight through. Okay. And if we could do this an hour, it'd be remarkable. But that the that that progression from oral language to processing written language and then processing more difficult written language and all of the things that are involved in the, that progression. Okay? Uh, I think we can okay. do it, uh, but I, I think your audience would find it uh, uh, interesting and perhaps even fascinating. And I will find a chapter in Ewing and Frank Smith to help me. So okay. thank you so much. This is great. I love talking to you. It makes me feel so much smarter. Let me tell you. It's always a Everybody, pleasure, friends. Thank you. Monday morning, we have this author of Murder is Not a Girl's Best Friend. Uh-huh. And on, yeah, it's pretty interesting. We have the author of Exit Strategy on Wednesday. And on Thursday, we have two authors that wrote a book, Lawless Land. They're interesting. All of them are different topics. But thank Wonderful. you, Dr. Fukubuto. Everybody, it's a beautiful day outside. Take a book outside and read. Indeed. Everybody thank have you, a great Chris. day. And bye.